Welcome back to Certain Comfort in Uncertain Times, a look at the book of Revelation that we are filming during the COVID-19 crisis in 2020. Uh, we're also coming to the tail end of a presidential uh, se election season here in America, uh, at the tail end of a year that has been filled with social unrest. And we've been studying the book of Revelation not to instill apocalyptic fear in people, but because the book of Revelation is designed to give us certain comfort in uncertain times, that no matter what uncertain times we're living in uh, during these end times, during this church age between the two comings of Christ, uh, the book of Revelation gives us certain comfort uh, in the cross of Jesus Christ, in the reign of Jesus Christ, in the return of Jesus Christ. And we come to a passage today, Revelation 15, that can be a little bit of a letdown. Two weeks ago, we saw in Revelation 13, a very famous passage with the mark of the beast. And then Revelation 14, last week, the corresponding mark, the mark of the lamb. And now prior to this final vision of judgment that John receives uh, with the bold judgments, we get this parenthetical passage. And it really is designed to, as so much in the book of Revelation, to pull us back to the Old Testament. And we've said all along that the book of Revelation contains almost as many Old Testament references and allusions as the rest of the New Testament combined. And so the key to understanding this book is not the newspaper headlines, but the Old Testament. We're not supposed to look around at current events to interpret the book of Revelation. We're supposed to look back at the Old Testament to interpret Revelation. And just like the preceding vision of judgment, the trumpet judgments, the bold judgments are designed to remind us of the book of Exodus, to remind us of the Exodus event, God's deliverance through a series of plagues of his people. And uh, we are told that that's the case here in Revelation 15, in this parenthetical passage that does set up the, the remaining judgments to be interpreted through uh, the Exodus event. We said uh, several weeks back uh, that it's the songs in the book of Revelation that help us interpret it, that the songs in Revelation function much like the Greek chorus to tell the audience what's going on. And there's a song here in Revelation 15 that is meant to remind us of the song of Moses. Uh, John even tells us that that's what it's to remind us of. Uh, to remind us of the song of Moses after God had delivered his people in the Exodus, delivered them through this series of plagues. And that tells us that that's once again what God is doing as we get to this last set of judgments. And so if you have your Bibles open in front of you, as I hope you do, please follow along as I read Revelation chapter 15. Then I saw another great an awe-inspiring sign in heaven. Seven angels with the seven last plagues, for with them God's wrath will be completed. I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had won the victory over the beast, its image, and the number of its name, were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. 
All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked in the heavenly temple. The tabernacle of testimony was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues dressed in pure bright linen with golden sashes wrapped around their chests. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And again, we are not going to uh, discuss a whole lot of the the imagery here and try to find those one-to-one correlations. Uh, Rather, we want to see generally what this passage is teaching us that provides us certain comfort in uncertain times. And again, especially during this season with the social unrest in our country, with the presidential election season upon us. Because as we've said the past couple of weeks, looking at the mark of the beast and the mark of the lamb, uh, that battle between the beast and the lamb is very much the battle of the state versus the church. Uh, It's the people of God versus the people of the God of this age. Uh, That this world and its systems stands against the lamb and his people. And we are living in that time, no matter when you are watching this or where you are watching this, we are living in a time where the world and its system, fueled by the God of this age, is standing against the Lamb and His people. And this passage is meant to give us that certain comfort in uncertain times. And so we are going to look at three uh, aspects of this new exodus uh, that uh, John is telling us about that should give us this certain comfort. And the first is that there is certain comfort in God defeating the beast. There is certain comfort in God defeating the beast. John starts to get this vision of the the last set of judgments, this last vision that he receives of the judgments that take place throughout the church age. Uh, But it gets interrupted by this parenthetical vision. And so he's about to see this vision involving the bold judgments, but then he also sees in verse 2 something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. The sea throughout Scripture is an agent of chaos right uh, through into the book of Revelation. Remember, it's the sea that the beast arises out of. And so the fact that John now sees a sea of glass tells us that God has constrained the forces of chaos. That he he is culminating to the end of his purposes for his creation. Because as we've seen a couple times throughout this book, this is what God does in the beginning. Genesis 1 uh, shows us God creating order out of chaos. Uh, And then Genesis 3 happens and chaos is introduced back into God's good creation by man's sin. And the rest of scripture is God once again creating order out of chaos. And it's coming to a culmination here because John looks and sees a sea, a sea that had just two chapters ago produced the beast, now calm like glass. God has restrained the forces of chaos. 
but it's not just a sea of glass, it's a sea of glass mixed with fire. Fire throughout this book is a symbol of God's judgment of his enemies, his judgment of those forces that stand against him. And so now the very thing that produced the beast is now the way in which the beast is going to be defeated and judged. God has defeated the beast. He has defeated the dragon who stands behind him. He is defeating the forces of chaos and bringing his purposes for creation to an end. There's that uh, famous sentiment whenever we refer to the book of Revelation that we've read the end of the book and we win. And it's a trite statement, but it's a true statement. And chapter 15 of Revelation reminds us of that. It reminds us as we are presently in that battle. We are presently in the battle against the beast. The beast in the form of this world and its systems, uh, the states and the political machines that stand opposed to God, the Lamb, and their people uh, produce all of this chaos, produce the persecution, produce uh, all of the uncertain times that we live in. And it, we, we can come to a point of despair when faced with, with everything that we see in the world around us, all of the suffering and all of the disease and all of the chaos and all of the war and the bloodshed and the trauma that is caused by sin, that is caused by the God of this age. And yet even in the midst of that, we are given this vision of God's defeat of the beast, that the sea will no longer be an agent of chaos. The sea will be calm like glass. The sea will no longer produce the beast. Instead, it will judge the beast as a sea of glass mixed with fire. And we go on to see God's defeat of the beast in the song that is sung in verses 3 and 4. And again, the songs tell us what is occurring. And this song is very much a new song of Moses. In fact, it says they sang the song of God's servant Moses. This is to be reminiscent of the song that Moses sings after the Exodus event, except here the song comes before the Exodus event. That's how certain God's victory is. And that song tells us and reminds us and assures us of God's victory. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. God is the one who is sovereign. God is the one who is in control. His works are great and awe-inspiring because he is the Almighty. He can do everything and anything that he sets his mind and purposes to do. And just and true are your ways, King of the nations. He is the one who rules over all peoples. He is the one to whom all nations and all people groups one day will bow down in worship. And verse 4, Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. And again, this is on the tail end of verse 13, where all the nations were coming in unison to worship the beast, where people were cowering in fear of the beast. And yet this song reminds us that the beast, the dragon who inspires him and and empowers him and motivates him, that this 
that the unholy parody of a trinity that we saw back in chapter 13 really has no power in comparison to the God and creator of the universe who will not fear and glorify your name. In chapters 13 and 14, we saw that though uh, the world seemed to join in unison in their worship of the beast, there were these people who did not. The people of the Lamb, those marked with with the mark of the Lamb, did not fear the beast. They did not love their lives even to the point of death, as it tells us in chapter 12. And yet here, at the culmination of history, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. One day, everyone, even those who bowed in worship to the beast, will fear the name of God will fear the name of Yahweh, recognizing that He alone is holy. He alone is transcendent. He alone is set apart. He alone is perfect. They will recognize the true God, and they will uh, fall down in fear and glorify His name. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. One day, all will see God's purposes for this earth. All will see what he is at work doing, what he has been at work doing all along as they see his work start to come to completion. Those of us who believe get to get a glimpse of that now and we already fear and glorify his name. We already bow down and worship before him because we know his righteous acts we've experienced his righteous acts but one day everyone will at the name of jesus everyone in heaven and on the earth and under the earth will bow down in worship and so there is certain comfort in god defeating the beast as we live day by day the beast might seem unstoppable but we are are assured that the lamb overcomes, that the lamb ultimately defeats the beast. And so there is certain comfort in God defeating the beast. And in relation to that, there is also, secondly, certain comfort in God delivering his people. There is certain comfort in God delivering his people. In verse 2, John doesn't just see something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. But he sees those who had won the victory over the beast, its image and the number of its name, standing on the sea of glass with harps from God and singing. The victory that the lamb wins over the beast is not just his victory, but it's a victory that he gives his people. And while we have certain comfort in the certainty of our deliverance, we have to remind ourselves of Uh, how this deliverance comes about. Back in chapter 13, we saw that the beast was given authority to conquer God's people, to overcome God's people. And yet here in chapter 15, we see that God's people have won the victory over the beast, its image, and the number of its name. And so we have this disconnect. In chapter uh, 13, the beast was overcoming and and conquering the Lamb's people, those who did not fall to worship. But now in chapter 15, the Lamb's people 
have won the victory. And we're not really given anything that closes that gap. We're not given this picture of victory. But the picture is really what we saw last week in chapter 14, that the, the victory of the people of God comes through the cross. It comes by following the Lamb wherever He goes. That the, the people of the Lamb win their victory over the beast. They are delivered from the beast. Not by waging war against Him. Not by using His own weapons against Him. Not by uh, living in such a way that they uh, thought that the ends justified the means. But rather they are delivered from the beast. They are given the victory over the beast by being conquered by the beast. That is, as the beast conquers the Lamb's people, he in turn is conquered by them. And this is what we have routinely seen uh, throughout the last few chapters and really throughout the book. Again, the focal point of the book of Revelation ultimately is not Christ's second coming, it's Christ's cross. And time and time again, uh, Christ's people who are the intended audience of this book, uh, living in the last days, living in times of persecution, in times of pandemics, in times of uncertainty and distress, uh, in times where uh, they seem to be at war with the beast. Time and time again, the, the Lamb's people are called to follow the Lamb wherever He goes, to take up their cross and follow Him. The cross ultimately is our victory, not just some philosophical, hypothetical victory uh, that guarantees us a free ticket into heaven one day when we die. But no, the cross is our victory here and now as we face the forces of chaos and evil and darkness in this world, in real physical life, in time before we die, perhaps even leading up to and causing our death. The cross is our victory. The cross is our victory. It is by not loving our lives even to the point of death. It is by following the Lamb wherever he goes, that we are given victory over the beast. God delivers his people, not by giving them weaponry by which they can outgun the beast, but by allowing them to be seemingly conquered by the beast, knowing that it is always the cross that conquers the forces of evil and chaos and darkness in this world. And we do need to keep this in mind, as we've said the last couple weeks, especially in such a divided partisan time as a presidential election, even during a time where we see so much suffering and social unrest, as we have seen here in America in the year 2020. We need to keep in mind that ultimately our victory comes in self-sacrifice. Our victory comes not by violently opposing the beast, but by laying our lives down, by following the lamb wherever he goes, by not loving our lives even to the point of death, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That is how we conquer the forces of evil, chaos, and darkness in this world. 
And so I don't know where you're tempted to wage war against the forces of evil, darkness, and chaos in this world. But let me encourage you, it's not by slandering people on Facebook. It's not being hateful towards people who think differently than you, who believe differently than you. It is not by stockpiling weapons. It is not by violently opposing the government. Now, the way we win against the forces of evil and chaos and darkness in this world is by following the Lamb wherever He goes, even if He goes to the cross. It is the cross of Jesus Christ by which God delivers His people, not just in terms of justification, that being freed from the penalty of, death, uh, penalty of sin when we die, but also in terms of sanctification, being freed from the power of sin here in this life, and in terms of our future glorification when we will be freed from the very presence of sin. It is always through the cross of Jesus Christ that we are given the victory. It is always through the cross of Jesus Christ that God delivers his people. And so there's certain comfort in God defeating the beast. There is certain comfort in God delivering his people. And thirdly, there is certain comfort in God answering our prayers. There is certain comfort in God answering our prayers. Verses 5 through 8, John continues now this, this vision of the upcoming bull judgments. And he looks in the heavenly temple, the tabernacle of testimony was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, dressed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes wrapped around their chest. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. Then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. The one aspect of this that I want to draw out are the bulls. Um, because when we see elsewhere in Revelation, what we've already seen, what we uh, talked about briefly last week, is that other than the bull judgments, where these bulls come up throughout the book of Revelation are when they are filled with incense, which is the prayers of the martyrs. Uh, and as we saw last week, being filled with the blood of the martyrs. And so, uh, I do think that these things are supposed to be correlated. They're, we're supposed to read that theme throughout the book of Revelation. And so as we see the prayers of God's people being collected in bowls, and then we see plagues being poured out of bowls, uh, I do think we're supposed to see one as the answer to the other. That these bowl judgments are the answer to the prayers of the saints. Just as we saw earlier in the book, when the saints cried out, How long, O Lord? And the answer again was a series of judgments. And so there is certain comfort in God answering our prayers. We are comforted with the fact that God hears our prayers. And even with the fact that, that our prayers are, are bringing about some effect, they are bringing about some end. But of course, the end that they are bringing about, the effect that they are having is not necessarily the effect that we think. Uh, the power of prayer is not necessarily the, the power that we would want prayer to have. Because ultimately, 
as God's people pray, and inevitably the prayers of the martyrs, some of those prayers would have been prayers for physical deliverance, to be spared the persecution, to be spared the gruesome death of martyrdom, to be spared from the suffering of this life. And yet those prayers were not answered the way that perhaps they would have wanted them to be answered. But that does not mean that God did not hear them. Instead, God is storing up these prayers and they are being poured out upon those who who did the persecuting, who caused the suffering. The prayers of the saints become the wrath of God. And this is what God is ultimately doing. Uh, This is our comfort in the, the time period that we're living in, the suffering that we are going through, the opposition that we face is that it is not without purpose. But God is using all of this, as we, as we saw in chapters 13 and 14, as God pours his wrath out upon the beast and his followers, the beast and his followers pour their wrath out on God's people. And so even as, the, as those opposed to God suffer, it causes God's people to suffer. And yet it's not that God doesn't care, but rather God is using all of this to bring about his intended purposes for his people and for his creation. That all of this is building and building and building. It's culminating to the end. It is culminating to God's recreation. It is culminating in God making all things new. And so God does hear our prayers. He does answer our prayers, even if it is not the answer that we would want, even if it is not, uh, our prayers are not answered in a way that, that eases our suffering here and now. But we are assured that even in the midst of whatever we are going through, that he uh, will ultimately defeat the beast, the forces of evil, chaos, and darkness in this age. He will deliver us out of it And ultimately, our prayers will be shown to bring about his intended purposes for creation. And that is why we can pray even as this book uh, ends with the prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is our desire, ultimately not to be freed from our suffering. Although if the Lord wills it, that might be nice. But ultimately, we long for the things that God longs for. We long for him to come and put all things right. Here in the Colony Chapel, I'm currently, for the men in the program, preaching through the Book of of Lamentations. Uh, And we just saw that in the Book of Lamentations, in Lamentations chapter 3, after the chapter culminates with that famous passage, great is your faithfulness and your mercies are new every morning and the Lord is good to those who wait for him and seek him. The rest of the the chapter goes on to describe the justice of God as Jeremiah cries out for God to deliver his justice on the people who were causing their their suffering, even deserved suffering. And we are reminded of that throughout Scripture, including here in the book of Revelation, that God is coming to put all things right. And we will one day look back after he has wiped every tear from our eye. We will look back and see his hand at work in the midst of all of it, all the tears that we shed, all of the suffering we experienced, 
all of the, the discipline and the, the refining fire that we were put through, we will see its effect in our lives. We will see its effect in creation as God brings about his purposes for his people and for his creation. And so God is answering our prayers and he's answering our prayers by defeating the beast and by delivering his people. And so we do pray along with this book, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of a presidential election season, our hope is ultimately not rooted in a coronavirus vaccine. It's not ultimately rooted in our preferred candidate winning the election. Uh, it's not ultimately rooted in, uh, in police and community groups being able to work out some sort of peace. Our hope is ultimately in God making all things right, putting all things uh, the way they are supposed to be, creating once again something good out of the chaos that we've made of this world. And so that is where our certain comfort lies, that through the cross, God is defeating the beast, he's delivering his people, and he is answering our prayers. Thank you for joining us as we've looked at Revelation chapter 15, and we'll be back in two weeks with Revelation 16.